Okay, so let me set the scene for you. It's Sunday. The lunches are made. Darren cleaned the house. And now I'm in the bedroom in my comfortable clean pyjamas with the salt lamp on, the diffusers going. Scent, there's a beautiful scent of orange blossom and ylang ylang in the room. And yeah, and it's only five to seven in the in the evening. Is there anything better? I don't think so. Chapter 17. The tapeworm is in. What do you want to do, my friends? Go out? Go out where? Go out to the discotheque? No, go out to a restaurant on the House of Butterfly. The House of Butterfly? Is that a pleasant restaurant? It's not expensive, if that's what you mean. Oh, good. The matter is settled. Let us all proceed to the House of Butterfly. Before leaving New York, I enrolled in a, mon a month-long French class taught by a beautiful young Parisian woman who had us memorise a series of dialogues from an audio cassette that accompanied our textbook. Because it was a beginner's course, the characters in our tape generally steered clear of slang and controversy. Avoiding both the past and the future, they embraced the moment with a stoicism common to Buddhists and recently recovered alcoholics. Fabienne, Carmen and Eric spent a great deal of time in outdoor restaurants, discussing their love of life and enjoying colas served without ice. Passing acquaintances were introduced at regular intervals and it was often noted that the sky was blue. Taken one by one, the assorted nouns and verbs were within my grasp, but due to drug use and close working relationship with chemical solvents, it was all I could do to recite my zip code, let alone my, the, an entire conversation devoted to the pleasures of direct sunlight. Hoping it might help with my memorization as with my memorization assignments, I broke down and bought a Walkman, which surprised me. I'd always ranked them to be between boa constrictors and Planet Hollywood t-shirts in terms of vulgar accessories. But once I stuck the headphones in my ears, I found I kind of liked it. The good news is that, as, as with a boa constrictor or Planet Hollywood t-shirt, normal people tend to keep their distance when you're wearing a Walkman. The outside world suddenly becomes as private as you want it to be. It's like being deaf but with none of the disadvantages. Left alone and forced to guess what everyone was screaming about, I found that walking through New York became a real pleasure. Crossing 14th Street, an unmedicated psychotic would brandish a toilet brush, his mouth moving wordlessly as in my head. The young people of France requested a table with a, with a view of the fountain. The tape make, made me eager for a move to Paris, where, if nothing else, I'd be able to rattle from memory such phrases such as let me give you my telephone number and I too love the sandwich. As it turns out, I have not had an occasion to either use to use either of these sentences. Though I could invite someone to call me, the only phone number I know by heart is, is Eric's, the young man on my French tape. Probably pronounced Eric, but anyway. My brain is big enough to hold only one ten-digit number, and since his was there first, I have no idea how anyone might go about phoning me. I guess I could stick with stick with the line about the sandwich, but it hardly qualifies as newsworthy. Part of the problem is that I have no one to talk to except for the numbers of my members of my current current French class, who mean well but exhaust me with their enthusiasm. As young and optimistic as the characters on my cassette tape are, they'll occasionally invite me to join them for an after school get together at a nearby cafe. I tried it a few times, but 
Surrounded by their fresh and smiling faces, I couldn't help but feel I'd been wrongly cast in an international Pepsi commercial. I'm just too old and worn out to share their excitement over such innocent pleasures as a boat ride down the Seine or a potluck picnic at the base of the Eiffel Tower. It would have been good for me to get out, but when the time came, I just couldn't bring myself to attend. Neither can I manage to talk with the, with the many strangers who will automatically seek me out when they discover they need a cigarette or directions to the nearest metro station. My present French class involves no dialogue memorization, but I find myself wearing the Walkman, mainly as a form of protection. No great collector of music, I started off my life in Paris by listening to the American books on tape. I'd never been a big fan of the, med of the medium, but welcomed them as an opportunity to bone up on my English. Often these books I would have never sat down and read. Still, though, even when they were dull, I enjoyed the disconcerting combination of French life and English narration. Here was Paris, wrongly dubbed for my listening pleasure. The grand department store felt significantly less intimidating when listening to Dolly, my life and other unfinished business, a memoir in which the busty author describes the childhood spent picking sticks out of her grandmother's scalp. Oh, ticks, not sticks. <laughs> Um, sitting by the playground in the Luxembourg Gardens, I listened to Lolita, abridged with James Mason and unabridged with Jeremy Irons. There were, I noticed, half a dozen other pasty middle-aged men who, looked li who liked to gather around the monkey bars and together we formed a small but decidedly creepy community. Merle Haggard's My House of Mem Memories, The Diaries of Alan Bennett, Treasure Island, if a person who constantly reads is labelled a bookworm, then I was quickly becoming what might be called a tapeworm. The trouble was that I moved to Paris completely unprepared for my new pastime. A few tapes I owned had all been given to me at one point or another and thrown into my suitcase at the last minute. There are only so many times a grown man can listen to The Wind in the Willows, so I was eventually forced to consider the many French tapes given as subtle hints by our neighbours back to Normandy. I tried listening to the misanthrope and Fontaine's fables, but they were just too dense for me. I'm much too lazy to make that sort of effort. Besides, if I wanted to hear people speaking wall-to-wall -wall French, all I had to do was remove my headphones and particip participate in what's known as real life, a concept as uninviting as a shampoo cocktail. Desperate for material, I was on the verge of buying a series of learn-to-speak-English tapes when my sister Amy sent a package containing several cans of clams, a sack of grits, an audio walking tour of Paris and my very own copy of Pocket Med Medical French, a palm-sized phrasebook and corresponding cassette designed for doctors and nurses unfamiliar with the language. The walking tour guides one through the city's various landmark landmarks, reciting bits of information on the listener might find enlightening. I learned, for example, that in the late 1500s, my little neighbourhood square was a popular spot for burning people alive. Now lined with a row of small shops, the, tra the tradition continues, though in a figurative rather than literal sense. I followed my walking tour to Notre Dame, where, bored with a lecture on the history of the flying buttress, I switched tapes and came to see Paris through the jaundiced eyes of a, po of a pocket medical guide. Spoken in English and then repeated slowly and without emotion, in French, the phrases are short enough that I was quickly able to learn such sparkling conversational icebreakers, such as remove your dentures and all of your jewellery and you need you now need to deliver the afterbirth <laughs> though i have yet to use any of my new commands and questions i find that in learning them i am able to imagine myself walkman free and plunging headfirst into an active and rewarding social life that's me in the glittering party 
refilling my champagne glass and turning to ask my host if he's noticed any unusual discharge. We need to start an IV. I'll say to the Countess while boarding her yacht. But first, could I trouble you for a stool sample? With practice, I will eventually realise my goal. In the meantime, come to Paris and you'll find me. Headphones plugged in tight, tight into my external audio meters, walking the keys and whispering. Has anything else been inserted in your anus? <laughs> Has anything else been inserted into your anus? Okay, and moving to chapter 18, since chapter 17 was quite short. Chapter 18, make that a double. There are, I have noticed, two basic types of French spoken by Americans vacationing in Paris. The hard kind and the easy kind. The hard kind involves the conjugation of wily, of wily verbs and the science of placing them alongside various other words in order to form such sentences as I go him say good afternoon and no not to him I go to sit say him now. The second less complicated form of French amends to the screaming English at the top of your lungs much the way you'd shout at a deaf person or at the dog you thought you could train to stay off the sofa. <laughs> Doubt and hesitation are completely unnecessary, as easy French is rooted in the premise that, if properly packed, the rest of the world could fit within the confines of Reno, Nevada. The speaker carries no pocket dictionary and never suffers the humiliation that inevitably comes with pointing to the menu and ordering the day of the week. With easy French, eating out involves a simple, bring me a steak. Having undertaken the study of hard French, I'll overhear such requests and glare across the room thinking, that's Mr. Steak to you, buddy. Of all the stumbling blocks of inherent in this, in this language, the greatest for me is the principle that each noun has a corresponding sex that affects both its articles and its adjectives, because it is a female and lays eggs, a chicken is masculine. Vagina is masculine as well, while the word masculinity is feminine. Forced by the grammar to take a stand one way or the other, hermaphrodite is male and indecisiveness female. I spent months searching for some secret code before I realised that common sense had nothing to do with it. Hysteria, psychosis, torture, depression. I was told if something is unpleasant, it's probably feminine. This encouraged me, but the theory was blown by such masculine nouns such as murder, toothache and rollerblade. I have no problem learning the words themselves. It's the sexes that trip me up and refuse to stick. What's the trick to remembering that a sandwich is masculine? What qualities does it share? With, anyone that, with any one possession of, of a penis. I'll tell myself that a sandwich is masculine because if left alone for a week or two, it will eventually grow a beard. This works until it's time to order and I decide that because it sometimes loses its makeup, a sandwich is undoubtedly feminine. I just can't imagine, I just can't manage to keep my story straight. Hoping I might learn through repetition, I tried using gender in my everyday English. Hi guys, I'd say, opening a new box of paper clips. Or, hey Hugh, have you seen my belt? I can't find her anywhere. I invented personalities for the objects of my dresser and set them aside on bland, and set them up on blind dates. When things didn't work out with my wallet, my water drove my watch drove a wedge between my hairbrush and my lighter. The scenarios reminded me of my youth and when my sisters and I would enact epic dramas with our food. Ketchup wigged French fries would march across our plates, engaging in brief affairs or heated disputes over carrot coins, while burly chicken legs guarded the perimeter, ready to jump in should things get out of hand. Sexes were assigned at our discretion and were subject to change from one night to the next. Unlike here, 
where corn on the cob and string bean remained locked in their rigid masculine roles. Say what you like about Southern social structure, but at least in North Carolina, a hot dog is free to swing both ways. Nothing in France is free from sexual assignment. I was leafing through the dictionary trying to complete a homework assignment when I noticed the French had prescribed genders for the various landmasses and natural wonders as Americans, as we Americans had always thought of as sexless. Niagara Falls is feminine, and against all reason, the Grand Canyon is masculine. Georgia and Florida are female, but Montana and Utah are male. New England is a she, while the vast area we call the Midwest is just one big guy. I wonder whose job it was to assign these sexes in the first place. Did he do his work right there in the sanitarium, or did, it, or did they rent him a little office where he could get away with it from all the noise? There are times when you can swallow the article, and others when it must be clearly pronounced. As the word has two different meanings, one masculine and the other feminine, it should be fairly obvious that I cooked an omelette in a frying pan rather than in a wood stove, but it bothers me to make the same mistakes over and over again. I wind up exhausting the listener before I even get to the verb. My confidence hit a new low when my friend Adeline told me that French children often make mistakes, but never with the sex of their nouns. It's just something that we grow up with, she said. We hear the gender once and then we think of it as part of the word. There's nothing to it. It's a pretty grim world where I can't even feel superior to a toddler. Tired of embarrassing myself in front of two-year-olds, I've just started referring to everything in the plural, which can get expensive, but has solved a lot of my problems. In saying a melon, you need to use the masculine article. In saying the melons, you use the plural article, which does not reflect gender, gender and is the same for both the masculine and the feminine. Ask for two or ten or three hundred melons and the number lets you off the hook by replacing the article altogether. A masculine kilo, kilo of feminine tomatoes presents a sexual problem, easily solved by asking for two kilos of tomatoes. I've started, use, started using the plural while shopping, and Hugh has started using it in our cramped kitchen, where he stands huddled in the corner shouting, What do we need with four pounds of tomatoes? I answer that I'm sure that we can use them for something. The only hard part is finding somewhere to put them. They won't fit in the refrigerator, as I filled the last remaining shelf with the two chickens I bought from the butcher the night before, forgetting that we were still working our way through a pair of pork roasts the size of Duraflame logs. We can put them next to the radios, I said, or grind them for sauce on one of the blenders. Don't get so mad. Having four pounds of tomatoes is better than having no tomatoes at all, isn't it? Hugh tells me that the market is off limits until my French improves. He's pretty steamed, but I think he'll get over it when he sees the CD players I got... I got him for his birthday. All right. We've literally only got, I'd say, a fifth of the book to go. So I'll pick up the slack from now on, religiously, once a week, so that we get through it before you get here. Um, or ideally before your next birthday, because that, that'll be a whole year. God, that's mad, isn't it? That I started that last year. Jesus Christ, where does the time go? Anyway, hope you've had a lovely weekend. Until next week. <laughs>